Howdy, y'all. If you've hung out here long enough, you know that Cosmetic is a longtime sponsor of the show. Cosmetics Hemp Pain Cream is the topical CBD skincare solution that your body wants. Cosmetics Hemp Pain Cream helps ease aches, pains, inflammation, and arthritis discomfort via their water-soluble CBD solution. Each bottle of Cosmetic Hemp Pain Cream is infused with 400 milligrams of their water-soluble CBD solution. Just rub that stuff right into an achy muscle or a joint and let it ride. It's killer. I'm telling you. Be kind to your skin and go to Cosmedicated.com at C-A-U-S-E Medicated.com and place an order today. Use promo code SOS20 at checkout. That's SOS20 and you'll get 20% off of your entire order. Also, if you're digging what we're doing here at SOS and you want to support our efforts, there's a way you can do that. Go to our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash south of scruffy and subscribe to this podcast. Just a little bit of help from you guys is what keeps this thing going, and it helps us continue to make this podcast just a little bit better for you. Thanks to all the patrons that make this thing go. We love you, and if you want to become one of those patrons, you can do so by subscribing on our Patreon at South of Scruffy. All right, you ready for the podcast? Let's do it. Welcome into South of Scruffy Podcast. My name is Ben Fields. This is my podcast. Thank you guys for being here. If you're new here, this is uh, all about me talking to some of my favorite artists and entertainers, people who I think are uh, doing their part to add to the cultural fabric of us. Us as uh, humans, as Americans, as Knoxvillians, as curious people, whatever we are, whatever us is. I've got Sirius Bright on the show today, Tyler Anthony. Uh, we had a killer chat about his musical journey as Sirius Bright and what that has been for him, you know, starting from an idea and then turning that into a nationally touring act that uh, has iterated in many ways over the years, but has always been unequivocally him and unequivocally good. And uh, this was fun, man. We got after it. I hope you guys enjoy it. And uh, if you want to watch this episode instead of listening to it, you can find the video of this episode on South of Scruffy's YouTube channel. All right. Should we do it? Let's do it. This is me talking to Tyler Anthony, Sirius Bright. We're doing the podcast. Hello, 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 hello. How's that? Yeah, that's good. Is that better? Yeah, that's much better. I mix it all right here. Well, I don't mix it here. I record it here, and then we give Sam a feed. Thank you, Sam. How we? How do we sound, Sam? We sound fantastic. Do we? Beautiful. Are we going to just dive right in? Well, yeah. Like I, I mean, I, I've known about you for a long time, and I've been, you know, I've seen you out, seen your, seen your stuff, and it was until our mutual buddy Garrett Sale mentioned your name. And, said I should have you over. And I said, that's a no brainer. You know, that guy He's like, yeah, I do. We should make it happen. So I'm glad you're here. Thanks, ma'am. And, uh, what's the, what's the story these days with, with Sirius Bright. And, you know, I know it's changed a lot yeah. for a lot of people in the last year or so. Yeah. Has it changed for you? It definitely has. And thanks for having me on. I, I love this and I love that you guys are shining some, some light on the Knoxville crew mm-hmm. and all that people. Man. Um, yeah, Sirius Bright has gone through a lot of different iterations. Um, 
I don't know what version we are on right now. Maybe <laughs> Serious Bright 5.0. I like it. <laughs> and when I say we, I now mean me. Really? Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I grew up uh, writing songs uh, just kind of behind the piano. And it wasn't until sometime after college that I uh, started playing out in Knoxville because I didn't really have anything else to do. Hmm. Um <laughs> You know, the kind of classic existential void of post-college that happens. You know, what better thing to do than to uh, be another white guy uh, pretending to be Mumford and Sons? Um, <laughs> and that's what I did. <laughs> uh, picked up the folk pop uh, mantle that I had no uh, <laughs> excuse wearing and uh, gave it a go. Um, did you do it because you knew it would sell or did you do it because you really liked it or both? No, that's a good question. Uh, I, I make fun of myself because, you know, the kind of Lumineers Mumford wave that has probably crashed by now uh, was what it was kind of my bridge into music. Ah. Um, I, I grew up um, pretty religious. Love you, mom and dad. Um, but. Uh, the only music that really played in our house was Positive Encouraging K-Love in Memphis, Tennessee, a lot of Christian music. Um, And I didn't get a lot of exposure to um, different kinds, um, particularly stuff that felt maybe less, I don't know what the word would be, uh, maybe less refined, less commercial. So I kind of considered myself not musical for so long. Although I played it and loved it, I didn't really think I had a good voice. I didn't really think that it was anything that had, um, you know, I'll say potential. But Because know. it wasn't the stuff that sounded like Christian radio? Yeah, exactly. Oh. Like I, I, you know, my Michael Jordan stories that I didn't make my like high school acapella group. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag my Michael Jordan story. Um, <laughs> what is this documentary that just came out? Uh, the la- not the last dance. Yeah, the it? last dance. Is that what it's yeah. called? Yeah, my last dance. No, um, <laughs> no, it, and and all that was fine. I just I didn't think I had a good voice, and I didn't think any kind of like all my versions of kind of professional musicality uh, was always at a distance, hmm. you know. And anything else was kind of very refined and very choral, and and the kind of sensibility, and, and maybe even a little pop. And so, um. You know, that just like wasn't really my sensibility, although I didn't have the vocabulary for that then. And uh, it wasn't until I would say the end of college that I kind of bumped into the Avett Brothers and then the Head and the Heart and Mm -hmm. then, you know, Mumford and Sons. Um, I won't give you my hipster. I heard them before. They were a big story, (laughs) although I'll reference it. Um, (laughs) You know, and, and I think I just felt excited you know, um, and and it didn't feel tactical and maybe the way I was joking. (laughs) Uh, when was that? Like 2010, 2011, 2012? Yeah. 20, right around there, kind of at the exit of college, uh, which was a 2011, 2012 for me. And I kind of exited into Knoxville, um, thinking that I was going to go into actually ministry and work for the church. And oh, wow. then um, some things kind of imploded for me and I didn't really have a plan B. Hmm. And so I was working at a coffee shop, um, Remedy, when yeah. it was back on, um, I guess, Jackson, and also working at Cafe Four. Uh, so when you were at Remedy, probably, 
right around that time, I, there was a production company upstairs called Tantrum Pictures, a dude named Michael Underwood. And uh, Matt Robbins was working the uh, oh, yeah. working working Remedy downstairs. Mm-hmm. That might be why you look familiar. Because <laughs> Probably. You know, Remedy was a great place because it had good coffee and somebody who remembered your name every time you mm. went in there. That was Matt. Is yeah. Matt. But it also had a church tie too, right? Yeah, exactly. Is is that, it was that part of the reason that you uh, got into that world? Uh, No, but it was probably just a path of least resistance, you know, where like coffee is kind of the next thing over from the church. (laughs) (laughs) They created both there, Knox Life and uh, and Remedy, right? Uh, Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, Met in the back room. Yeah. So I actually wasn't even a part of all that, but it was more just kind of the like, you know, you don't really know what else to do. And, um, kind of simultaneously I was interacting with some, you know, kind of quote unquote folkier bands that I heard kind of maybe, uh, a vocal style or a kind of song that I was like, Oh, actually I could sing like that. Or I do sing like that. Or I mm. could write like that, that felt, um, you know, a little more accessible. Yeah. And so I started writing some songs, um, and I don't know if it's worth going through the whole thing, sure. but um, I like had a girlfriend and she sang in it and then we broke up and then mm. I... She sang in the band? Uh-huh. Yeah. And then recruited some other people kind of in her absence. And one of those guys um, was a really good fit. Uh, his name's Evan Ford. And um, we really kind of took the next steps forward together for a couple of years and then we... Uh, recruited some other Knoxville guys. And I would say the probably version of Sirius Bright that Knoxville knows the best, quote unquote, would probably be the five of us. Uh, me, Evan, uh, Luke Bowers on drums, uh, Matt Nelson on bass, and Jake Smith playing electric uh, electric guitar. Um, and yeah, we, we played and toured, uh, you know, that kind of group of five was probably the most, you know, active. Uh, Is that 3.0? That's probably 3.0. Yeah. Man, got to love 3.0. <laughs> um, so that's pretty quick, though, too, because did did your first EP, I was looking around, doing a little research. Uh, your first EP, research. yeah. First EP was 2013, right? Yeah. So that was pretty much Evan and I. Okay. So we recorded that before any of those guys. Gotcha. It was um, 1.0. That was 1.0. Okay. So, well, maybe 2.0. Okay. Girlfriend was gone. Yeah. yeah exactly. Okay. Gotcha. But that's still pretty quick because you said you started doing it in 11 or 12. So the fact that you guys were already in 2013 putting stuff out. Yeah. The irony is that Sirius Bright, the kind of namesake, was arguably the first like guitar song I ever wrote. That was the name of it? Mm-hmm. And it kind of, it felt special enough. I, I probably like dinked around and like wrote some other stuff. I had grown up playing the piano. And then when I was playing like worship music with like my churches and stuff, I was starting to learn the guitar and, you know, very simple to this day. I'm not a great guitar player, <laughs> very passable. Um, but I just, I, I kind of wrote that song serious bright and it felt special and felt like something else and, um, kind of anchored, you know, the name to that song. Yeah. Um, so I always dreamed of, actually not anymore, but uh, having a self-titled album in which I can put the song Serious Bright on 
mm-hmm. and then have the band Serious Bright. So it was just Serious Bright, Serious Bright, Serious Bright. I think Bad Company did that. Damn it. <laughs> All right, not worth it. Scratch. <laughs> so you grew up in Memphis, you said? Yeah. Is that right? I did. All, you know, the whole time? Uh, Till yeah. college? Yeah, and then I, uh, I went to a very kind of, it was a very different world for me, very um, like college preparatory. I went to all boys schools my mm-hmm. whole time. Like elementary school, all that? Yeah. Brothers and sisters? Uh-huh. I'm the oldest of four. Oh, nice. Um, Catholic? <laughs> as close as you can get. Presbyterian. Episcopalian? Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, my dad's actually a pastor, was a pastor gotcha. through our whole um, upbringing. And so it was kind of all like, you know, all boys schools slash, you know, kind of Christian slash pseudo-Christian. Um, I feel like the uh, pastor's kids can go one of two ways. There you go. <laughs> right? I'll let you decide. I think I know which way <laughs> way you went. And well, I was a late bloomer in that direction. Okay. You know, so you fulfilled the, the, the pastor's kid's kid prophecy just later in life. Exactly. <laughs> Hence, serious bright. This what, is what, all just a What happened long... with mom? Was she working at the church? Uh, no. I, yeah. With four kids, she was holding down the four. Yeah. Lot to keep up with. So you're the oldest of four. I am. Gotcha. Yeah. Was music a thing in the family? Uh, Other it, than the radio playing, right, you know, the, some Christian music. Yeah, uh, it DC really wasn't. Oh, good pull, <laughs> Jesus freak. Um, it really wasn't, um, and I think that's part of maybe some of my like. Well, I want to give I want to give credit where credits due. Like they like I had music lessons, you know, and I had piano lessons, and so there was certainly an opportunity to engage with music. But my parents aren't you know, musical in that mm. way. So, um, it felt a little bit more, um, yeah, uh, kind of like another kind of extracurricular. Yeah. And when I was probably about 15 or 16, I kind of had this awakening, um, a, a kind of around music. I was starting to learn chords and I was like, Oh, this fucking theory is just so exhausting. I hate it though. I wouldn't have said that for then I'm sure. <laughs> um, but it, I, I started to really understand probably around 15 or 16, really the structure of like theory. And then I was like, oh, I can just like write my own songs. Mm. And honestly, from that point on, I was just like, I'm done taking lessons. And all I want to do is just come home from school and hammer at the piano and yeah. write songs, much to the chagrin of uh, my siblings. <laughs> I think my, especially my my next brother Kyle has a lot of like piano PTSD because I would just come home and you bang on it. He's just do do do. You know. Um, did you do the uh, Did you do the church choir thing and all that growing up? Uh, not really. No. Kind of like very loosely, but in the same kind of spirit of the acapella type of thing. Like, uh, wasn't super suited to it, and really didn't really take to theory and the kind of like pre- precision of choral music. Yeah. Um, sight reading was always kind of hard and yeah. you know, reading music and doing it on the fly. Yeah. Being it was expected to go there with your voice. Yeah. It's a different kind of thing. And I still get a lot of like performance anxiety around kind of like perfection. And I think that was something about the quality of, you know, the folk music or now I recognize it as kind of like <laughs> folk adjacent. It's like, are the Avett brothers really folk music? I don't know. But that kind of Americana stuff felt like it was a permission to be, you know, human or more organic, you know, yeah. um, that uh, really opened kind of the path for me. So you, do you think 
you would have made the kind of music you made had the Mumford and Sons, the Avett Brothers, maybe even the Wilcos at some point, mm-hmm. not giving you the permission to like, hey, this is cool. Like people like this. You Probably think you not, really? honestly, because I think I needed that, you know, kind of bar to reach for or that permission. Because um, I was listening, you know, through a lot of college to a lot of kind of like vanilla Nashville singer songwriter, mm. like, you know, vanilla pop type of stuff that again, I liked, but felt kind of inaccessible for me to kind of create. Mm. Um, so, yeah, who's to know? Um, but it, it happened as it happened and, you know, well, so the, the first EP was, was 2013. I listened to that today. Goldmine. Gold. Yeah. Is that the name of it? Yeah. Goldmine. So I, li- I listened to the EP all the way. God bless you. Well, I listened to the EP <laughs> all the way through. And then when I heard the song, this was interesting. When I heard the song the second time, cause it, it came back around again. Mm-hmm. I was like, I know this song. I was like, is is he covering something? And then I realized, no, you weren't covering it. it. I had just heard it about 30 minutes earlier, but it already had that. Like it was mm. in me, you know? Are you talking about Sirius Sprite specifically? Yeah, I was talking about, yeah, Goldmine. And, oh, Goldmine, yeah. Goldmine specifically. When the EP came back around and played again, I was like, I fucking love this song. I was oh, like, I oh, I, ha- I just heard it for the first time 30 minutes ago. It was like already ingrained in my brain. Like I'd heard it, you know, my whole life. I was trying to figure out what song you were covering. And it was like, it was just the first song on the EP again. That's very sweet. But I it seems such- universal. Like your stuff is just like in there. Well, thank you. I, I have a really complicated relationship with those old songs not to sound like melodramatic or self-important but you know i think because they were i mean gosh was that eight years ago you know so wrote it maybe nine years ago Mm -hmm. like a different human being feels like you know wrote that and um yeah so it's really sweet for you to listen and (laughs) give a compliment to the kind of younger me well i've been listening to your stuff you know here and there uh, because you just you're kind of ubiquitous around here. Everybody's heard your music or been to a show. It seems like, and uh, to to be able to walk through all of it, I could kind of hear some I could hear mm. some some growth in there to to go through the catalog. Mm. And um, it certainly got it got better and it got more refined. It felt like for you guys, you felt more comfortable. Or yeah, sounded absolutely. sounded more comfortable, but it sounded like you were getting away from. Not, I don't want to say imitating, that's the wrong word, but you had, had kind of found your own voice a little bit towards the, found your own sound towards the, you know, second half of that run. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think a big part of that, you know, a lot of that credit is due to the other band members coming in and having other um, creative input, you know, uh, those first two EPs were really evident I, you know, and with, you know, we had kind of producer help and would pull in musicians and stuff, but still kind of like you're saying, kind of approximating sounds, which is, you know, this is how you learn. I think what has always kind of been, I felt both like thankful and conflicted by is that, um, you know, our stuff that we made early on is still out there, you know, um, like maybe people like you had Garrett on, it's like, he probably made some like, you know, his first EPs or demos or whatever happened in <laughs> secret, you know, maybe put on SoundCloud. He can put some down and, you know, make all your mistakes in the dark. Exactly. Before anybody's uh, watching or listening, you know? So in a lot of ways it's, it's like, 
it feels vulnerable to have the early stuff out there. But it also taught me a really good lesson, which was that people, especially in people in Knoxville, were ready to be supportive. And that, you know, you know, for artists out there or whatever, it really is a good way to kind of get the chops, not of just putting something out, like the, the actual kind of like mechanics of like recording something and finishing something, but also kind of testing out what it's like to release something or interacting with people and, and kind of giving people the opportunity to like something, you know? Um, so, you know, in a lot of ways it kind of got me here, you know, even though, if, even if I feel kind of like it feels some of the songs can feel kind of young to me, mm. you know? Well, I've, I've had a, a gripe, uh, that gripe talk, it up. I've had a gripe on this, <laughs> The show with our with our with our town that I talked about on my first ever episode with Matt Honkin and I and I remember I keep going back to this because I always think about it. It seems like we have a disproportionate amount of talent around here and a disproportionate amount of really good bands to not have a mandolin orange mm. that just blows up and and you know is you know I don't want to say household name but it very internationally yeah, recognized yeah. and the more I dig into it I find guys like you and I find guys like Garrett and you look at your plays on Spotify and all that you know, you're in the millions you know you're in the seven you know seven million for Stella yeah you know and 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 so it's I I'm so glad that you've seen some success in, in a big way and people are gravitating towards you. I mean, that's not, that's not your friends when you're at seven or 8 million plays. That's not just your friends yeah. listening to it. You've gotten some, something's happened. Yeah. Something's gotten out there. Your stuff's resonated. Is there a moment in there where it felt like things were like, okay, this is happening. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's very kind. And, you know, I feel, I feel thankful for what we did experience I would say, though, for us at least, the traction moments really happened from a lot of work and a lot of kind of like outside of Knoxville connection. Mm. Um, well, and and to give credit where credit is due, I would say a big part of our kind of, you know, launching was the Dirty Govs offering us some love and some support uh, early on as well. Opening um, for them? Yeah. So I reached out to James Tremel. Uh, early on and like, you know, was emailing him and, you know, because I'm kind of, you know, a marketer by day, I have that kind of, you know, again, to make fun of myself that like kind of white guy, you know, uh, in college preparatory confidence of like, Oh, well, why, why shouldn't I just call him? Why shouldn't the world bend to my will? Uh, (laughs) you know, which is a conversation for, you know, an hour from now. It's called entitlement. Exactly. Uh, but just hitting him up and say, Hey man, can we open for you? Can we open for you? And he kind of gave it a few years to like, you know, I think see if we had our, our shit together. And as we kept kind of playing coffee shops and, you know, getting more and more people out to like the square room and, you know, you know, selling out the square room at some point, which was like 400 people, even from a business standpoint, it's like, Oh cool. This is a good look and can like pull some people to us, asked us to open for them at the Tennessee theater for a new year's Eve show. It went well. And then they asked us to um, open for them for like a spring um, tour. And then uh, it was kind of through that, that we ended up linking up with um, like a manager and a booking agent. Nice. Got a following going. Yeah. And, and again, though, like I would say a long way to kind of answer your question about like when it felt like real, um, we got, um, 
offered an opening spot for a band called the Oh Hellos for like a two month tour. Uh, you know, and they were probably selling out thousand person rooms like every night. And that was really exciting and, and really humbling. Um, but two kind of like behind the scenes details is one, I had been like internet flirting with them for like a year trying to ask them to get us, you know, I was like, Hey, love you guys. And just emailing them and like stalking people and trying, trying to get to their internet pants. E- exactly. Trying to like do versions of finding versions of their email on like, you know, Google searches, you know, with quotation Info marks. Oh, hello.com. Yeah. And also we made no money. We were being paid $125 a night for five people for two months. That's tough. Impossible to yeah. do. So I think some some of the challenge of like a band, you know, kind of getting beyond is not just a Knoxville problem, but also a problem with the industry, you mm-hmm. know. And I think that there are people that are super talented that are able to do that. But something like you say, even a mandolin orange, what I hear where I think about is like, oh, husband and wife able to like be really tight a duo which is a lot easier than a five people like i've mm-hmm. i've seen you know i've come out of the matrix i'm like i know all the numbers and sometimes as unsexy and unromantic as that is i feel like that is what happens and it's hard because when you're an artist and you're starting out and you're trying to make something that you believe in that's the farthest thing from your mind you're not trying to create a sustainable business model yeah, right but ultimately that is what is you know to me, I mean, I don't know if I actually believe this is true, but like what I see time and time again is what uh, makes or breaks people uh, is is that uh, dynamic. Yeah. Is the kind of business savvy or having someone on the team that has that, even if they don't. You remember the polyphonic spree? Yeah. I was like, how the hell did they do that? <laughs> There's 60 people in that in that group. How do it you was get another time? How do you get how do you get that thing started? I know. And yeah. not now. <laughs> That's for damn sure. You get a Patreon or something, you know, it's like you're a self-starter. Like, um, I I know you were talking about this with Garrett, some of the Spotify stuff, but it's like, there's like 40,000 songs being submitted every single day on Spotify or something. It's crazy. You know, it's like. So stupid. And it's good and it's bad, right? mm -hmm. It's good because the gate, the gatekeeper, well, the barrier to entry's down. Yeah. Everybody's got a shot. It levels the playing field. But then you get in there and there's still all kinds of inequality, right? I mean, the Kendrick Lamars and the, you know, Ed Sheerans and stuff like that. Those are those are getting the big, big, big pieces of the pie. Yeah. And then, you know, there's a lot of bands out there with the less than a thousand number next to their yeah. next to their songs and their names. Well, I'm I'm frankly curious if, you know, you talk about kind of a big household name or whatever. I'm I'm frankly curious how not how many more of those we will see, but just what that path is now. Because even in the last 10 years, I think things continue to kind of overturn of like what is normal and the kind of competition and the saturation and and the kind of rules of engagement. It's like maybe even the people that in our head are like have kind of crossed through like, you know, someone like an Alabama shakes or whatever, like that feels mm-hmm. kind of like an, a true authentic artist that is like, you know, maybe quote unquote legitimately made it through just kind of, you know, by their talent. Maybe they started 10 years ago and just kind of got in under that radar before things yeah. were like so saturated. Yeah. 
so I wonder how much of it is merit based because I go and I listen to your stuff and it's like I I don't want to offend you, but you do you can draw some Mumford and Son and that oh, that yeah. air you can you can draw those I said parallels it, don't to, worry. The, You're to the sound. To. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but you can draw some parallels there. And I don't know why from listening to your stuff, I don't know what would make their stuff any better. I think your stuff sounds just as good. So, you know, how much of it's merit and how much of it is support, how much of it is luck? Because yeah. all those kind of kind of play into it. If you have record label support putting you out there on, on the road or whatever, getting you exposure, getting you a following, and then you know I talked about it with with Garrett too. The the uh, with Garrett Sale the 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 play, how important important getting playlisted is. Yeah. Uh, and then you know th- there, it seems like there ha- have to be all these these new kind of ways that that people get their music in front of people's ears that all have to line up. And it's, it's, it's almost, it's almost like there's, it, it, it is luck. Like it, it really is at some point because so many people have the chops or am I wrong? Is there something there? Is there something, is there a thread that I'm missing that I can't see? I mean, I think what I would say even more than luck is the kind of, is marketing. Yeah. I mean, I hate it, but I feel like it's true because I see people that aren't good that are doing the things they're running the ads or they're doing whatever bullshit. And like, they're kind of just getting the plays <laughs> because they're doing those things. I always like jokingly say like, what, what would happen if, you know, Bob Dylan, uh, you know, we're starting now. It's like his demeanor and personality and values or whatever. I mean, it's, you know, apples to oranges, but like, <laughs> I just, I know there's people that are just, you know, good, talented, making stuff with a different headspace and ideology and, 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 and totally kind of like unequipped in a good way for the participation in the kind of like game of social media marketing capitalism. Like anti-establishment kind yeah, of vibe? Yeah. Or just, you know, even just like the kind of, like you have to be an entrepreneur. Like you have to be also a business person. You can't just be a, you know, a songwriter, an artist. You have to be these other things too. And that precludes all sorts of people. And maybe even it precludes our best artists. Yeah. Because they're the ones that are like most focused on their stuff and least focused on like, fuck, fuck all this stuff. I don't care, you know? And and I'm probably romanticizing some like, you know, Bob Dylan or something, but, but you know what I mean? I just, I think that as time has gone on, like a lot of things, um, the industry in the space continues to kind of be capitalized by, you know, uh, the people that are get you know, clicks, likes, yeah. subs- subscribes, somehow have access to, or are prioritizing a certain kind of, you know, you know, whatever that, you know, and, and I, and I think I'm talking out of two sides of my mouth because I truly think that's part of how I am here today. Even talking to you is not because my stuff is like particularly incredible, but because I was able to like leverage some of those skills to get here. Mm. <laughs> not, not because I'm outside know, of music. Awesome. Yeah. Skills outside of music. Yeah. All that kind of like marketing stuff. Is that what you went to college for? Went to college for psychology at UT. Uh huh. Okay. Mm-hmm. So grew up 
oldest of four, church, <laughs> Memphis. Recap. Moved here, yeah, moved here to go to school. Studied, studied psychology, psychology. Thought I was going to work for the church, mm. you know. Um, and then uh, after college, again to kind of you know uh, reference like a you know a secret implosion. Uh, working for the coffee shop, and then uh, had this kind of regular coming into remedy. And one day I was like, "What do you do?" And he was like, "Oh, marketing." And literally had no idea what that was because I had been so had such a blinders on towards kind of the church. And I was like, I'm not sure what that is, but is there anything that you do that you hate to do that you could teach me to do mm. that pays me as much, if not maybe a little bit more than this coffee shop? And That's he's a like, really good way to get in the door just about anywhere. <laughs> Can I take away your, all your pain? Life points? hack. <laughs> White man edition. <laughs> um, I'm really branding myself with this vibe of all right. hating myself. No, no. Uh, I'm just very cognizant these days of of some of those behaviors being, you know, uh, kind of leveraged from this kind of confidence that I maybe don't deserve. But um, uh, he, he started doing the things he didn't want to do. He was like, sure. Can you write like a newsletter? And I was like, okay. And then I did. He's like, yeah, it's good enough. I charged $25 a night. I don't yeah. know if you know from yeah, my touring days. That's what I charge. Yeah. And I was like, well, I'm, I'm making this much at Remedy. So you can pay me $1 more. Um and so I kind of slowly like moved towards the marketing space. And then I was able to make that um, kind of my part-time bill paying gig. Copywriting or, or writing a writing a newsletter? Yeah. Doing blogs, doing social media, doing, you know, that. And then eventually kind of expanded into making websites. And I, you know. Did you learn the tech part of making website or the design part? The design part. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you can find someone to make a Squarespace site for and say, hey, yeah. They want it made. You can probably figure it out because you just left college and you're like, I got nothing else to do. Yeah. Been on a computer my whole life. Um, so it was a lot of saying yes and then figuring it out. Um, Some of the most successful people I know have done exactly that. <laughs> Said yes and then figured out a way yeah. to, to do it. And that's really, you know, uh, again, another kind of detail of the kind of serious bright arc, which you know, you don't see when you see the 7 million streams or whatever, is that both Evan and I, we didn't pay ourselves from the band and the music for the entire time mm. that we were actively touring. Mm. Uh, not a dime. And, and, you know, again, not to sound like, you know, good for me. It was more just out of like necessity. It was like when I said like we have that tour with like the hellos and we're making $125 a night, uh, you're paying for gas, you know, a little food money. if It's a hotel if you need it pay our you know musicians who all went to music school and this is their main gig pay them for the gig you know evan and i are yeah. rolling up to the venue a few hours early and hopping on our computers and trying to make a little money building websites or whatever yeah you know? I, i've also heard that as a really good piece of advice for a young entrepreneur for a business owner is pay yourself last <laughs> pay everybody else first yeah and then you get what's left over motivates you to you know push it yeah it's your motivation to get it over the top yeah. But also it's a responsible way to do things. Those guys wouldn't have played very hard for you if you were paying yourself <laughs> first. Well, we were all just, we were in the trenches together and, you know, it, it you know, didn't feel as much like, it, it felt like we were a team and, and just kind of trying to build something. And, you know, it felt very pure doing something we're lo we got, you know, we love and feel, feeling very thankful to get to 
play music every night yeah. for months on end sometimes. Did you build up a decent following with uh, the opening for Oh Hello? Yeah. And it's half the people are in the room, right? Already or three quarters? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, thousand people a night, 750 of them are already there yep. to see you guys. Yeah. And I think just the kind of like validity that it creates is like some, you know, when someone sees you in a venue like that, even if, if you were playing a show by yourself, you'd have like 20 people in the city, you know, you're in a big venue, even if the, you know, the crowd's, you know, thin, you feel like a real band. So they take you seriously and they kind of listen to music or they buy merch and they engage you. Um, so it was really special. Um, you know, I, I think that was kind of one of the, the more extreme kind of feeling like we made it moments and, you know, we had some, you know, big wins along the way. Um, but, uh, an hour long path to kind of like where we are now, uh, it got really hard. You know, I think supporting a band of five people full time is, you know, not, I don't want to say damn near impossible. Um, but that's a business, you know, that's like a whole churning thing. If like everyone's eggs are in that basket and, um, in about 2017, I would say we were kind of feeling the, you know, the pains of that, you know, we had all kind of put in a number of years, you know, I don't want to say making compromises, but, you know, certainly, yeah, it's like the, the guys, you know, the full-time musicians could be making more in town and we're yeah. making sacrifices to tour. And, you know, Evan and I were, uh, you know, put in a lot of hours and then I'd gotten married and, you know, so there's all this kind of other equation of like, am I, you know, you know, the kind of responsibilities of like stabilizing and, you know, loving, you know, the person you're with. And, uh, it was just hard. And so we kind of took a unofficial hiatus, which turned into a a permanent one and, you know, kind of through all that, like reconfigured and realized that, you know, a lot of us kind of needed to go different directions Mm -hmm. and wanted different things and had different needs. And, um, uh, yeah, it kind of created a, a pretty natural, uh, reason to have iteration yeah. five. <laughs> yeah. Did, was there ever any guilt there when you have people, you know, four or five other people who are coming out on the road with you every night, they're not getting paid that well. You guys are having fun and all that, but, but is there ever any guilt there of like, these people are making huge sacrifices to help me fulfill my dream, help me feed my yeah we we said narcissism earlier as, yeah, as right. artists you know i mean is there is there anything there of of it gets to a point where it's it's a burden a little bit on on you to where you feel like you're not giving back as much as you're getting from these people who are helping you certainly certainly uh how dare you uh <laughs> i mean it, it it is i know the feeling yeah it you are describing a a, a kind of personal challenge of mine, which I'm very codependent already, uh, which is to kind of bear that, uh, you know, emotional, uh, weight. Um, you know, I, I've talked to the guys, you know, plenty of times since then, uh, and they might listen to this. So I love you all. <laughs> I hope I'm not speaking for you, but you know, we were all working on stuff we wanted to together. Like no one was there by force and like, we were all trying to do something really hard. And I, I certainly felt the responsibility and I think that's actually part of what brought us into kind of the next stage was I think that the the practicality of leveling up 
and making more money and becoming more stable for everyone also involved things that felt like compromise to us. Mm. So like by the end, we were getting opportunities to tour for bands that like made us want to throw up. We're like, fuck this. Like, I just, I can't stomach it, you know? And like the Oh Hellos were awesome, but like we were kind of trending in this like folk pop type of way, which felt more and more hollow and less and less earnest. And like we were getting traction in the place that we didn't want to. It's like, we'd rather aim towards Wilco but we were like feeling like we were aiming towards kind of this like nameless blankety blank band. That's just like, you know, making, you know, kind of just vanilla folk pop and, um, that's, you know, very judgy. Well, but, did you, did, was there the, th- the thought out there? <laughs> this is probably a terrible question, but is it when you got approached to, to do some of these, is it like, we should, they should be opening for us. Like we, we, we're way better band yeah, than they are. Honestly, and well, and I think and that some of what you're like joking about is like the reality, the kind of existential identity crisis we were feeling, which was like we 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 know we're better. Like these guys are fucking so talented. We can make so much better, more sophisticated stuff, but the places in which we've gotten traction is like not that. It's mm-hmm. it's the stuff that feels maybe like, you know, a little bit more on the nose and we want to make weirder stuff and we want to like really yeah. push. But in a sense that feels like kind of like starting over. Yeah. And so our team is like, yeah, that's cool. But like, this is what's making money. So like, let's get another one of those. Even loosely, it's just, it's just hard. And you're like, do we have it in us to kind of like, I don't know. I don't want to say start over, but that kind of risk yeah. of like being like, okay, fuck it. We're going to just make something completely you know, that we want to make. And then I think that offers a whole other question, which is like, what is that? And then we have five people with different sensibilities and like, you know, having been together for like five years working on stuff, like, is there a thing that we all want to make? You know, this, that is like, we have a joint shared goal. And the answer was no. Mm. And it had nothing to do with like, you know, quality it was just like different sensibilities you know was that because it started with you and evan and then the other three just kind of fill filled in and maybe didn't feel like founding members or didn't feel like they had a place at the table as far as creating this stuff is concerned more like a hired gun you know did you ever did you ever bridge that gap to where it felt like all five of you were were the band and you were all (laughs) five pushing forward and everybody felt emboldened to make that is a good question and I would be, <laughs> I would be wary to like speak too much for those guys. I mean, it's, it's kind of like, well, for you, did it feel like the ship was like, that's you a could- good, that's, I, that's a question I can't answer, which is like, I tried to, but the reality was there was too many moving parts to like ever be able to like identify that place of like complete congruency amongst mm-hmm. all of us, like all the kind of shareholders, which was like yeah. us, the band, the audience, the manager, the booking agent, yeah. the momentum. Oh, sorry. No worries. Um, it, it, it takes a lot to get all of that moving in the same direction. Yeah. Right? And then you, you wake up one day and you're like, fuck, like, what am I even doing? Like, what is this? Like, I, I, I was starting this because I love to write songs. And now I'm like waking up stressed, thinking about what to do rather than like loving this thing. Mm. Um, and I think that it's kind of like a long way to get to like the challenge of art in the modern age, you know, in our case, particularly music, because 
you know, if you have put all your eggs in that basket, I think those calculations ultimately like come, you know, you have to kind of deal with, um, in one way or the other. So some of those bands that you couldn't stomach to go open for, even though it might've been good for your career, (laughs) they'd obviously done something. List their names. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, please name them. No, did, did there, uh, were you able to, is that where kind of the, the marketing thing clicked for you too? It's like these guys just found a spot and they've marketed themselves well. Was there anything that you learned on that side with your penchant for marketing that you kind of were able to learn from seeing these other bands that were, you know, not, maybe not as, maybe not as right on the spot as you guys were, maybe not hitting as hard as you guys were, were there, you know, is there some, was there something to learn from that? No is a completely fine answer. I think, I don't know if this is going to answer the question, but I think that what I felt, what I learned generally from all that was it's hard to do and you have to love what you're doing because otherwise you're going to run out of steam fast. Mm. And, you know, things like, oh, it takes 10 years or 15 years or something to kind of like cut through the atmosphere and maybe like get enough of an audience to kind of stabilize and then maybe feel the permission to be a little more, you know, adventurous case in point, you, you know, you mentioned man on origin orange. Like I know that, um, the guy whose name I can't remember, uh, just put out like two instrumental albums this year. How'd they do? I'm not sure, but I, th- I know that he loved, he was excited to do it and he did it and it was yeah. fun. And I don't think, the fact that I don't have to answer that question or don't know the answer, he probably doesn't have to know it either. I think he, they put in the work to kind of earn the space to be Mm. kind of do whatever they want to do. Yeah. And, uh, have also loved what they were doing on the way there. And I, and I think that's what we felt was like, Oh, this is going to be so hard that like whatever we do, we have to love. And that's kind of where the long road for me, to serious right now, which is a long fight towards making something I love, something that I'm actually proud of. It's something that can be free of all those questions because otherwise I'm just like treating music for me, at least I'm just treating music like another product and it's too special for me to kind of bastardize in that way. And I don't want to ever like, assume someone else is bastardizing it just because it happens to be trendy or just because it happens to not be my taste or preference. Maybe at another, you know, maybe back then I would have like pointed the finger, say, fuck these guys, they're playing the game and you know, whatever band that would have been. And like, you know, they're just being strategic. Uh, I don't know. You know, you don't know what other people's preferences are. Like I know people that you know, make stuff that, and they're super stoked about it. I'm like, oh, that feels cheesy to me, but you love it. And that's fine. Um, Lord knows some of my old stuff felt like that too. So, you know, I've kind of like stopped trying to place judgment on the motivation of other artists. And I can instead just say, hey, if you're going to be doing it, you have to really love it because it's going to take a lot of work. And that's the only, you know, you just, you need that kind of gas in the tank. I see some bands who, work very hard. Um, I look at, um, fish is a band that I, that I've liked for since I was in high school, you know, they're obviously pretty prolific. Uh, 
they all four, all four of them uh, have side projects. Hmm. As much as they tour, as much as they put this thing out and fill stadiums with, you know, 25,000 people a night, they still go out and they make stuff that they want to make away from each other. Yeah. And I think that, that that's pretty interesting. And I think that would be a bit of a, not just them, a lot of bands do it. You, you know, you mentioned it with Mandolin Orange. He made an instrumental album because yeah. maybe, you know, maybe the thing that's buttered your bread the whole time is, is obviously the, the right thing for you to be doing as an artist and as a musician, but there's still a piece missing somewhere maybe, or yeah. there's a, a little bit something else out there. And I well, feel like I, it would be easy to yeah. get in that trap once the bills start getting paid with your, you know, with your music. Certainly. Well, I, and you know, I can't again, speak for like all artists, but I, I do think generally there is a certain kind of like creative energy and activation that comes from, exploring new you know mediums or things or sounds or whatever it may be Um, sometimes going and playing in a different sandbox may help you bring something really great back to your job job yeah which is obviously an important thing or yeah you're an artist you're a creative the whole reason you're doing it is you love that you know process you love to do doing that and so you're trying to stay fresh and you're just moving toward your curiosities yeah and you know you know, I, I think we do see that from kind of like those mature artists who have kind of seemed to settle in. They have their cadence of like, okay, we're going to make this record, you know, a record kind of on, you know, our main band every few years. And then we're now, we've went out, worked hard enough for 20 years or whatever it is to like have the space to kind of continue to do those things. Cause you know, we're creative people and we yeah. like to just like make stuff. The Jack white thing doesn't happen that often where there's a, you know, the white stripes goes out and is, is great. And then somebody splits off and does a solo thing and it's just as good, you know, yeah. as, as the main thing. And always tip my hat to people when I, when I see that happen, because it usually, you know, that doesn't always go that way. Gwen Stefani, maybe, although <laughs> tragic kingdom is the best album I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> Bada bing. You heard it here first, folks. The best album in his life. Uh, I mean, yeah. And, and, you know, who's to know? I think sometimes stuff going well or playing well is, it, you know, like we were saying earlier, a matter of, you know, the moment. Yeah. And I, I think probably it's like, yeah, I, I love when people are just, when you can tell people are doing stuff for themselves like Haley Williams from Paramore has been doing her own solo work and just put out a really incredible record earlier this year or earlier last year rather and then just kind of out of the blue did a surprise one that she recorded all herself every part Mm. of it in her home studio played every instrument that's incredible that is incredible you know what's crazy this is some reverse like my phone listening to me, algorithm AI stuff. Mm-hmm. I have not thought about Paramore or, or, you know, for years. And, uh, I was, I was, you know, scrolling through Instagram or something a couple of days ago and her face came to, it came up and was like, hi, I'm Haley Williams, the lead singer or whatever for Paramore. <laughs> I hadn't thought about them in years. And here you are mentioning it. She must be making some, uh, making some waves. It was probably a better help ad. <laughs> I've been getting that ad too. Have you? I they guess we know. both we both need therapy. They know. That's the moral of the story. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh. Thirties, well, you know, washed up creative. Yeah. You know this person. 
you need therapy. We know you do. Well, where where's what's the 5.0? Where where's where's Sirius Bright right now? I want to talk about your marketing stuff too, but I'd like to know like where yeah, where you're at with Sirius Bright right now. Um so kind of since the band, you know, kind of re reconfigured, um I kind of reabsorbed the name and uh that's your IP. Yeah, exactly. Hashtag <laughs> trademark. Um, yeah, I, I was able to finally write songs and make songs that uh, I really wanted to, kind of like separate from all those other calculations, like I said, songs about my family or, mm. you know, uh, my faith, my journey, you know, kind of a consideration of who I was. Um I, I, I know kind of like make no assumption that my story is like particularly like uh, extraordinary, but for me, not that it needs like to be justified, but I, I, I feel like some of my arc is probably shared from a lot of like 30 something year olds where there's this kind of like version of us not too far away that we can kind of see that we're maybe like starting to grapple with, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and I think that there's questions about who we are and what made us this way that I at least am like asking. And so that's really what like those songs were about. And so I started to just the like, early ones or the new, the, the new, new ones. ones. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and just songs I wrote in my attic, you know, I would go do my work, marketing work and then come home and, you know, my wife was at school and I would go up to the attic and just, write some songs and it, it was really a, cer- a sort of like return to form for me, mm. uh, how it used to be the kind of like, yeah. Oh, the day is done. Let me process. But now I have another yeah. 10 years of, you know, songwriting experience and was really able to make stuff that I'm excited about. Um, and then I, uh, started to, again, always the digital flirter, uh, kind of identify some guys, uh, <laughs> in Nashville, online sent some dms as the kids say uh and uh yeah i kind of got some guys together in nashville to start recording some of these songs and uh sweet did you record them there i did in nashville how many did you write oh i wrote a lot but Mm -hmm. uh there's 10 on um this next project this next album an an lp an LP, a full on LP. Thank you. There's another Stella. Oh my God. You s- oh, I just got it. <laughs> no, no. Did you do that on purpose? I, I didn't. I, I drink this stuff pretty much. <laughs> That's Stella. pretty much all, well, all we drink around here. Well, not a bad fit. Well, no, it wasn't. Especially when I started digging into your music. I was like, I love him already. <laughs> <laughs> it's meant to be. It is. Um, so you recorded all 10 in Nashville? I did. Was over. Garrett involved in any of them? Uh, not on the recording producing side, okay. uh, which is obviously stupid because he's so good. But we were just, he was in the middle of finishing up his record and just the way that the timing was working, um, I was kind of ready to pull the trigger. Well, when did you guys start? When did you guys meet each other? I feel like we've talked about him enough. We've got to <laughs> get that, get that uh, together. We met in college. Really? Yeah. So you guys he, were in college at the same time at uh-huh. UT. He was, wow. a, he was a little younger than me and he also was kind of in like a Christian faith adjacent yeah. type of thing. That's interesting. And so we didn't really like reconnect. Well, you know, obviously we were both doing music, so we both kind of had like similar 
yeah. you know, journeys. But was it after Serious Bride had got some traction and William Wilde had got some traction that you guys kind of, mm-hmm. like, hey man, we're, yeah. we're doing it. Yeah, exactly. And so yeah. we actually, uh, touring with our first LP, Excuses, uh, we, it was like in the middle of summer and there's no like, normally those are festival shows and like yeah. we waited too long on our booking agent was like, well, there's no like venue shows. So we're like, fuck it. We're going to just like book our own tour and booked like a 35 city house show tour. Nice. And had Is that Garrett. mostly fans. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Which, uh, yeah. It was like all fans. That's great. Uh, like, you know, 50 people in yeah. a house. You know, Eric Baker. Uh huh. The dude's made a living doing that the last well, I know of Eric Baker. We haven't yeah. like hung out. But he's been I, on I the show, but, but he's he's leaned into that hard. Hell yeah! When it's you have diehard awesome. fans, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. then it, again, I mean, it's kind of the spirit too of just like connecting, not playing the vanity game of like you're really there and people want to be there. And so Garrett, we asked Garrett to open for us on that tour. Mm. I mean, open quote unquote. <laughs> it was a co-headlining tour. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, uh, uh, AKA also like run sound for us and be in a, the van with us. Did for, he do solo stuff mm-hmm. as, as an opener? So we, he just like hopped in the van with us oh. and there were six of us and playing in house shows for playing in houses. Six for, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a, a hilarious wrinkle of that was that our AC was on the fritz and we were like in the van, in the van and mm. we were touring through Texas. That's a good way to get everybody real pissed off, dude. And irritable. Man, <laughs> truly the hottest no offense, Texas, especially right now, but yeah. truly the hottest um, I think I've ever been was like that summer going mm-hmm. through Texas with no AC, just 100 plus degree heat, just six guys shirtless in the van, just, you know, in their underwear, so sweaty, so smelly. And then we show up at some person's house and we're just, we smell awful. And we're like, so sorry, the AC's out. We got to play, you know, we'll take a shower and then set up the sound equipment and then play. Um, but that was kind of long way to say that's how kind of Garrett and I uh, started to reconnect. And what happened first, William Wilde or, or Sirius Bright? Which one of you guys started to kind of oh get traction God. first? Was it kind of close together? Uh, we might have been a smidge ahead. Yeah. In terms of like starting, and then you know he uh, is much cooler than I, and had kind of like a big, a big moment. Um, but now I'd say we're, we kind of have like saddle up together and uh, there's just, I think there was maybe, I don't know if he ever felt this towards me, but like generally I think when I was starting, I felt a sort of like competition of like, oh man, I gotta be like all these, uh, you know, there's like five like Knoxville bands of like a similar size. Who are the other ones? At the time? Yeah. Oh. Black Cadillacs? Yeah. Maybe Black Cadillacs. Um, you mentioned, uh. Maybe Maplehurst. I mean, just kind of, it's not even that I like wanted anyone to fail. It's more just like you're aware of each other and like you're playing and. And you want to beat them. You want to do better than them. I get it. I get competition. We live in America. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I'm so happy to report that all that is (laughs) dead and gone. And Garrett and I couldn't be more like, you know, in each other's corner. So he, he has mixed this upcoming record. Yeah. That's what he said. He said that he, he mixed a, a, a couple records for you or, or two songs on the, all the, on the album that he was telling me about. Anyway. No, he mixed the whole record. He mixed the whole thing. Yeah. He probably would just say in the two songs that are out are the ah, first ones. Sam was saying that he heard them and that they're awesome. Yeah. They're out Hell there. Yeah. Out there in the wild. I'll listen to him after this. 
Those so this is a 5.0 album coming out. Is it out yet, or just a couple of songs? Just two songs, and then um, there'll be a new song that comes out the start of each month until May, and then at the end of May, the full thing will come out. Wait, how does that work? That's like a that's like a television model meets Netflix. You know, it's like we re- we release it, it, it uh, episodically. Twenty twenty one, baby. Um, yeah, you so release be- one song at a time as a single. Yes. Or as okay, and then yeah. you release the album as its full thing. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, That's baby. Fun. You gotta play the algorithm. I don't. I, I don't know the game, dude. You don't know the game, and no. I'm. I'm glad that you don't because it would just depress you. <laughs> but these are the things we do for streams and clicks. Well, it might be a good uh, segue <laughs> into saying that you have done your fair share of homework on how this stuff works, and not just how to make the art, but how the art is uptaken and how it gets in people's face and how people become aware of you from a marketing standpoint. I guess yeah. you've watched it from the sidelines with Sirius Bright. Um, but now you have uh, started to lean into that a little bit more, right? Yeah. Um, I was working for uh, a software company for a couple of years and uh, it was you know, not my favorite thing. And, and I, I kind of had this, this feeling, it's kind of like maybe a postscript to our, what we were just joking about of maybe feeling a little, little like competitive towards Knoxville artists. I kind of had this like chip on my shoulder. I was like, Oh, the Knoxville scene, it could be so much better. What are we doing? Like, you know, at my worst, I would say, Oh man, it sucks. Like, you know, whatever. And then I was like, what am I, what am I talking about? Like if I, if I, I feel, I feel like it could be better than help. Like, what am I doing? Why am I being so cynical about what's not there? Like, be a part of the solution, if you will. Um, so, yeah, I, uh, about a year ago, I started helping some other smaller bands kind of try to navigate um, some of this uh, stuff as well. Because uh, I just know, although we're talking about it, it's just so hard. And, and it makes me mad that a good artist would have a barrier to getting their stuff out just because they some for some reason don't have the kind of marketing experience mm-hmm. or something like that. Do you just help them on the marketing side or do you help them on the artistry no, side? No, I was I was kind too? of like quote unquote like managing a few bands and have kind of since like downshifted a little bit to more just like management consulting. Yeah, n- with no fees, no like I'm not charging anyway. It's more just kind of like trying to like help in those roles. It's um, awesome, and because you know. The, the line between kind of management and marketing is blurry in music. And, and some of it is more just kind of about like pointing in the right direction of like what I've seen work or what I've seen people try different kind of strategies or whatever. Yeah. Um, and especially kind of as, you know, COVID has hit, um, trying to just be helpful for people, uh, you know, especially local artists trying to figure out uh, what to do in the interim and moving forward. Uh, because I think that like it's, Technology in the industry continues to like change and evolve. Uh, with just like adaptation is like survival. You know? Yeah. Well, so how are bands doing it now that, you know, you can't tell a talent buyer or can't tell a guy to just come out and see your show, you know, come see us. We're great. Like, I mean, yeah, you can send them some links, some SoundCloud, yeah. Bandcamp, Spotify, whatever you want. You show them a badass website. I mean, like, well, how are how does a band starting right now even even market themselves or or, or you know what are they how are they <laughs> proving their value sure. to anybody who matters right now? 
Because it's got to be different than it was a year and a half ago. Yeah. I think it is. Um, and I think it's, you know, different than it was five years ago. Um, you know, I, it's kind of a million dollar question. I think it, it, it probably does depend, which is kind of like a non-answer about the the person, their connections, their genre. I think generally, though, I'm I am interested in encouraging artists to build their own fan base um, separate from the channels and separate from those conversations, mm. you know, a kind of, um, hypothetical, I'm kind of quick to raise for some people I talk to is like, okay, if you had, you know, a uh, hundred people, you know, willing to spend, give you $5 or $10 a month, how much is that? You know? And like, let me break down what, you know, it takes to make that on Spotify and all the kind of like vanity positioning yeah. you have to do. Yeah. And then all of a sudden if like you're thinking, Oh, can I get, you know, 500 people in my corner? Again, like you referencing Eric Baker, kind of like maybe similar to the house show thing kind of expanded out, you know, you guys are doing that with Patreon. It's like, uh, maybe instead of competing in the whole kind of big ecosystem ocean, mm appeal you know, to your true fans. Yeah, and and and, and think local. You know, mm -hmm. I think a lot of artists are are quick to look towards the kind of vanity metrics of a Spotify or YouTube or something right. public like yeah. Instagram and you know, what's a lot less sexy is, you know, maybe your your local, you know, yeah. whatever. But if you can get people on board as a kind of base, you know, in your local you know, marketer where you are, people that know you and you can kind of create some stable, you know, uh, foundation, then you have a place in which to like try to play some of those other games. So I truly think that the future of artists is more like uh, low volume, high density patronage. Mm. Uh, Sam, do you remember when uh, Andy Wood was over here and we were standing around the fire and he started talking about a thousand loyal fans or a thousand true fans? Do you remember that? Yeah. I looked into that and that's a that's a thing that it? it's a cool. it's a model. Yeah. If if you have a, th a thousand loyal fans, a thousand true fans that you can get to spend a hundred dollars a year with you. Bing. Right. Six figures. Right. You know, for you to create your stuff. And I'm sure you'll have costs in there and all that. But I mean, that that's assuming you can make a living off a hundred thousand mm -hmm. dollars a year. But and, and that seems like an attainable number. Yeah, you know, it is. It, it doesn't just seem I mean, you think about Knoxville, it's like, well, there's there's a thousand good people here, you know, like yeah. and I think the game that you're going to play, you can adjust what you set your sights on and how you you know, measure success. And so, you know, when an artist is just like stepping into the internet, <laughs> you're competing yeah. against everything. Right. If I'm running an ad, I'm competing against every fucking brand. I'm pizza, yeah, you know, home sure. loans, this, that, you know, like, it, it, you know. You're day trading attention. You're trying yeah. to get people's eyeballs on your stuff. And, and there's so many different things for them to look at. You're trying to get their thumb to stop for three seconds. And it's like, is that really the kind of, you know, uh, behavior? Is that the kind of art you want to be making? Is that the kind of like game you want to be playing? Um, you know, almost certainly not. And almost certainly the energy you would spend and maybe even the money you would spend to kind of participate in that uh, type of, you know, kind of 
comp- competitive game is, uh, you know, could be better spent in other places. I think if people are willing to, our artists are willing to, um, change their definition of what success looks mm-hmm. like. And, uh, you know, a big, I'm a big advocate, you know, and maybe it's a little prescriptive for my story too, but like, I'm a big advocate of like, you know, the kind of like middle-class artist or middle-class musician or a part-time one sure. who's able to like, like you get we were talking earlier, like y'all are doing it here with this podcast where you're able to have a both and, yeah. and it takes extra work, but it always takes extra work. Sure. And, you know, if you love the thing, you'll, you have, you know, extra energy to, to try to do it, you know? I'm pumped to hear the LP. I'll tell you that right now. Thanks, man. Yeah, I'm excited. And I hope to hear things too. continue to keep going well for you because it sounds like they, sounds like they have been. Well, uh, that, that's it sounds very like kind. it's taking hard work. <laughs> there you go. I was going to say it's, it's, uh, you know, it has been good and I'm, I'm very thankful and I'm also like quick to encourage, uh, you know, people to, you know, I don't want to say work hard cause that sounds very kind of like, you know, go get them, pull yourself. No, but it's, it, it is like, uh, yeah, I have a particular kind of like softness and empathy and, and sensitivity towards like the modern artists and, and want to like be as helpful I can about like being honest about what, you know, is it really happening and helping people like really do what they want to do, you know? I think that's uh, a noble cause that once you feel comfortable in where you're at and you don't feel threatened by other people that are starting to come into your space, if you can give them give them a leg up, if you can help them a little bit, I think that's a sign of somebody who's uh, secure. Hmm. You know, I've, I see that around a lot uh, in our business. You see people that see a new guy coming in, and they're either threatened by them, you know, yeah. or they want to impart as much on them as they can because they want them to succeed. Because a rising tide fl- floats all boat or lifts all boats. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's, that's cool that you have segued into a space where you don't mind sharing. It's pretty cool. Thanks, man. That's, that's kind of, I mean, I think I'm just generally tired. I'm tired of the, <laughs> the kind of capitalistic, you know, grind that, you know, turns us all into pulp and I'm just, I'm just not interested anymore in perpetuating any of those like narratives of, you know, uh, anything that's unhelpful and and, and unhuman. It's like, you know, so I love what you guys are doing here is it's very genuine and, and rooted. And, you know, I think as I have kind of cussed my thirties, I like, I just want to have a healthy life. I want, I'm willing to work hard. Mm -hmm. I'm okay to be a little tired. I know there's a lot out in the world that I can't control. (laughs) But I do know that here in Knoxville or in my local community, I do have moments of like real interaction that can happen, that can actually matter, you know, and there are things here in our city and relationships that actually can matter. And it's not to say that I think I'm anything special, but it's more just like, I think we all have opportunity to like help each other. I mean, now I'm starting to get a little campy, but it's just like, that's how we make you know, our city awesome and, yeah. and how we are healthy, a healthy community is if we're, you know, helpful. So. And I think what you say also about, you know, 
the old way doesn't have to be the only way. You don't have to sell a billion records to make a living as a musician. Yeah. You know, you just got to do, you got to have, you got to have enough to appeal to a certain amount of people and you can live a civilized lifestyle. Yeah. Not be gone 180 days a year with your band. You yeah. Know, spend time with your family. Yeah. Still. Yeah. What did we miss? Did we miss anything? What did we miss? I don't know. You tell me anything you want to know. I don't know. How can, how can people, how can people, uh, Help! How can people help your your next effort? How can people, I mean, listen to your stuff? Is that the only way? Do you have Patreon or anything like that that they can? No, go you to can or? listen to the stuff. You can share it. Yeah. Um, Looking for shows. Yeah. Well, honestly, I'm not even super concerned with that. Yeah. I, I think I've, I've kind of put the, all that on um, a sort of pause. Yeah. Um, Would you want to do a show, uh, Garrett Studio? Heck and, yeah! And film it. Heck yeah! And put it out. Oh, as, I see what you're doing. Cross promotion. No, I'm 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 kind of talking about our idea uh, that we dot, dot, that got dot. you here in the first place. Was uh, we we've we've talked about filming? Uh, you know, we talked with Garrett. Me and Sam did uh, about doing a, a little concert series that we that we film. Uh, a tiny desk mm-hmm. is kind of what I keep coming back to. Just yeah, that kind absolutely. of thing that comes out. You know, once yeah. a month, once however however often. And Garrett had a great opportunity to say, "Yeah, I'd love to do it," but he said, "He said we should we should have you as our, as our first <laughs> he, as our first." Oh dude. wow! Okay. He did. Yes. Well, I need to get some some of my shit together then. But do you I, think it'd be cool? Do you yeah, think? I think it'd be really cool. Um, Film it at his studio. Yeah. You know, I'm involved in that. No. Yeah. Pink Moon. Yeah. Pink Moon's badass, dude. It is. I'm the studio manager. Are you really? Yeah. Well, so yeah, we did miss I'm, something here. I'm the I'm the I'm the email address. <laughs> really? Yeah. I had no idea. <laughs> that studio is so badass. It's so cool. I've it's been so to good. a lot it of studios. It doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't make sense. It makes no sense. It's in the middle of even when I write it down, even when I'm like, you know, here's where we plan on on, you know, shooting this thing. It's like they ripped this house apart, dude. They yeah. took the second floor out of that thing, yeah. vaulted the ceilings. All the way to the ceiling. And made a state-of-the-art recording studio in there in Park Ridge. Yeah, it's like big city-level recording studio just like right there. Yes. Um, uh, one thing I will say, since you've kind of invited a, you know. Invited uh, invited a chat. You invited a chat. <laughs> uh, you, you said, what can people do to support? I, I, I mean, I think for me the biggest like goal of you know this next batch of songs is um a sort of self reflection uh i know that's like heavy handed and i'm i'm sure every artist kind of wants that but i really feel so strongly about the importance of us as adults taking a look in the mirror uh, at who we are and like the things we are participating in. I think especially kind of coming from maybe for me, like a maybe more like religious, like more specifically like ideological background. I felt the, the potency of like living with kind of an unevaluated ideology for so long. It's just so important to me that we all, uh, kind of do that work to consider who we are and consider what we believe and consider the life we've lived and like what has shaped us. Um, and it's very much the, like the spirit of the album. Um, and when it comes out, I, I would just hope that people would 
you know, listen to it and, and kind of do more than just kind of like listen to it in passing, you know, in the middle of the work day, but like mm. would like, you know, pour themselves a drink and sit by the fire and, and risk, listen to it. And, and not, not about giving myself attention, but right. in a, in a way of like hopefully catalyzing something personal and self-reflective. Um, cause that's why I do any of this is, is, you know, I tease about kind of my narcissism, but it really is the, like, I have such a deep desire for people to engage with themselves, honor themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I was really, I'm really vulnerable on the album, hopefully in an attempt to like facilitate people kind of being vulnerable with themselves and like taking a look at, you know, uh, their journey and their history. Um, so that's all I want. You know, I don't need any more followers or any more shows. Right. If, if, if a few people did that and, and found something new, then it would be a win for me. Really? You know? Yeah. 100%. It's an altruistic effort, sir. <laughs> it really is. Oh, I, well, that's that's very kind. Um, I don't know. I have a strange kind of like, uh, we're we're in the deep deep thoughts part of the podcast now, but I I, have, I feel a certain kind of like responsibility. I think because I spent so many years pushing a certain certain kind of like ideology when I was like mm. in ministry. Yeah. I feel a certain kind of responsibility to like continue to um, encourage participation in, you know, outside of theology. Yeah. Outside of theology. Exactly. Um, A sort of penance maybe, uh, which makes it sound like that's the only reason I do it, which is it's not, but it's part of it for me. It's parallel, right? You're, 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 it's, it's, you're getting to the same river via a different Creek. Yeah. Yeah, Exactly. And I think in a, in a world of like content and strategizing and all that stuff, I'm like, it, it took so much effort to try to make this stuff kind of purely separate from that. And it's, you know, uh, you know, important for me, whether it's my stuff or anyone's stuff that people engage things that help them kind of step back, you know, and take a look. So I hope that happens for people. Wherever uh, they find it. I'm going to promise you right now that uh, w- after all the singles come out and when the record, when the whole <laughs> album comes out, I'm going to pour a glass of wine and sit next to the fire Thanks, in there man. and listen to the whole thing by myself. I'm going to listen to every word. Thanks, man. That means a lot. That's wow. really, really special. If that's what you want people to do. I'm going to do it. Heck yeah. Yeah. Deal. Dude, thank you so much for coming. I'm glad to know you, man. Thanks, dude. And it sounds like we might get to hang together a little bit more. I'd love that. Yeah. Um, love what y'all are doing. Thank you. Keep it up. Keep giving Knoxville that spotlight. Got it's to. awesome. Got to. Thanks, Tyler. Thanks, man. All right. How'd we do? That was fun. I like that guy. Been a good time. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed it. If you want to uh, get some South of Scruffy merch, go to our Instagram at South of Scruffy and click the link in the bio for the merch store. We've got some good quality stuff in there. The t-shirts are nice. Those yoga pants are killing it. The tanks are awesome. The hoodies, though. Get you a hoodie. Check out all that stuff and uh, keep your eyes peeled for the Howdy Y'all t-shirts that are coming out soon. Those should be out in a couple weeks or so. 
Y'all take care. Thanks for being here. Thanks for doing the thing. Love you all. Be good. Matt Honkinen. Play me out. <laughs>